1: that is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech.
1: It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is
0: called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
1: People were not going to watch LSU Alabama just to see me. And that's fine. And that people didn't watch the Red Sox, the Bruins, just to see me. And that's, what, that's how I have operated my entire career. So first and foremost... Um, that was that was an interesting kind of conversation. I also had with Michael Davies along the way when we were having these talks was he really made sure I understood how talent-based this show is. Um, and I've worked, I've done some self-work to make sure I'm prepared for that and to goes against kind of like my baseline, I feel like humility chip that I have. I've had to kind of push some of that aside. Um, but the show again i'm just really excited and happy and and it's just different and i'm I'm just ready for different and i i don't know how else to explain it but the fact that it is less people it doesn't bother me i mean 10 people could watch it and i would still be happy to to talk about the nfl for three hours a day
0: hey everybody this is richard deitch and welcome to the sports media podcast my producer is patrick antonetti um, we're, uh, we're away from our normal recording studios this week, so apologies in advance for the sound. It's not going to be as uh, high-quality sound as this podcast usually is. That's on me, not on Patrick Antonetti at all. So we're doing our best, but we got a, a terrific guest this week, and I wanted to do the podcast even if the sound quality isn't great because I think the content's really good. Jamie Erdell is the new host of Good Morning Football, which airs Monday through Friday. At 7 a.m. Eastern on the NFL Network, she makes her debut on July 25th. We had a really great conversation. Um, again, when you when you read stuff about Jamie and her colleagues uh, praising her for just really being uh, a professional and decent person, it's it's all true. Um, and so that's someone whose success you're happy for. She um, we discuss uh, why she wanted the Good Morning Football job, how she learned the job uh, became available, what she had to do to get it, what she expects from the show. Got into obviously her work with CBS on the NFL sidelines and the SEC sidelines went pretty deep into sort of SEC culture and what it was like for her being from Minnesota to being exposed to, to Southern football, and then got into um, being pregnant while doing SEC games and breast pumping on the road and having to navigate being a working mother during COVID. Um, she's really honest and and I appreciate that. So I really enjoyed this interview Jamie Erdell, the new host of NFL Network's Good Morning Football, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. One guest this week, it is Jamie Erdell, the new host of Good Morning Football, which airs Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the NFL Network. She will make her debut on that show on July 25th. What good work by Andrew Howard of the NFL uh, media PR staff to give me all that. She previously worked as a game reporter for CBS on the SEC football, on their SEC football coverage, worked um, as a game reporter on CBS's NFL coverage. You also saw her in the NCAA men's basketball tournament for many years, particularly memorable this year. St. Peter's went on their pretty awesome run. She's done regular season college basketball, work for CBS and CBS sports networks, done um, some women's basketball stuff. And then once upon a time, a long time ago, I think Jamie Erdell worked for uh, Nesson doing uh, the Bruins. Um, and uh, she also has the same name, right, as uh, Helen Hunt on uh,
1: My Mad Mary About name, You. My Mary married name at- is the same name as Helen Hunt on so Mad I'm about, you. about You. Yep. I'm
0: pleased to be joined by Jamie Erdell. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast, Jamie.
1: Thank you. You and I haven't chatted, I think, since a couple of March Madness tournaments seminars ago. ago. So yeah. it's nice to hear from you and catch up again.
0: Yes. Thanks for coming on. I know it's going to be a busy couple of uh, days. You got you got to do promotion. You're doing some other podcasts. So thank you for uh, making the time for this. So let's start here. Why would you want this, John?
1: I liked, I like a challenge. It's a different. It's different that I had done for eight years at CBS. And it was an eight amazing years. Um, they, they gave me, you just listed it. It's actually really cool to hear somebody else say it like that. I did some really cool stuff and, but, but the biggest difference, what boils down to is, and I've really tried to wrap my head around the job this way is that my job at CBS was to support the broadcast and the game as the game unfolded. And this job with good morning football is it's about, you know, it's talent and we get to talk and we get to have our opinions and we get up, we jump off the news and we jump off everything that's happening in the NFL. And I think five years ago, eight years ago, you know, I would have thought I could have done this job, but I bet I wouldn't have been as good at it as I probably could will be today. Hopefully um, it just felt like time. It felt like time to broaden um, beyond, um, sideline reporting. And that's a great job, you know, but recently, you know, Melissa Stark was named, um, for the reporter for Sunday night football. And again, I think I circle back to kind of like what I, what I would have thought about this job five years ago. And I think if you had told me like, you got to leave your sideline job to go do something like this, I would have been like, you never leave the sideline. You don't do that. You'll never get back, whatever. And then I see Melissa do this. And I don't know, that felt like a huge turning point for me to see somebody, go away from the sideline and come back in such a prominent role. And it really showed me that you can go other places, you can do new things and grow and you, you could go back if you wanted to. And, you know, traditionally, I think people, women really felt like if you stay on the sideline, you got to keep your job that way. But I I really feel like the times have changed and it doesn't have to be like that anymore. So I'm just really excited about the, the, how broad my voice can be now.
0: When these, um, when these jobs become available, um, you know, you pay representation, um, your agents to sort of be aware of this stuff. You're probably aware of it as well, just being in the, the business. So when you learned that, um, that Kay Adams was leaving this post, um, or let me backtrack that, when did you first learn that, that this job may be open?
1: We have the same representation.
0: Okay. So there you go. So
1: um, he knew before I guess you know anybody else knew or when good morning football found out and that conversation was kind of happening simultaneously so um Josh Levy at WME he just called me and said you know he actually didn't I don't if I remember it correctly I don't even think he said what the job was I think he has always been very sensitive to with me about my, the way my life trajectory has gone kind of against my professional trajectory and He's been amazing with, um, you know, when I got married or started having kids, really, he, he really protected me from, cause like I'm, I'm somebody who will really feel badly like Minnesota, Minnesotan guilt, like if I don't say yes to everything. And so he really, for, for a couple of years allowed me to just focus on my sec job, focus on the tournament. And then when I was off, I was off, like I could be a mom and he really did a great job with that. And then I felt like he and I got back on the same page of like, okay, it's, we're okay. You know? the babies are not true babies anymore. Um, And so he called me and said, if there was a job that would have you guys move back to the East Coast, what would you think about that? And there's a lot of personal life stuff that goes along with that. But essentially, it it would be wildly beneficial to both my husband's career and this one. And I was like, well, I think we would do that, even though we're both Minnesota natives, and we had our kids and we were around our parents. And, And then he said, well, you know, Kay's going to leave good morning football and then that. And then I really just like, I couldn't believe that was the job, to be honest. And I was like, let's go, let's get after it. Um, You know, I had to learn a lot about it, but that's how I found out.
0: Okay. The, this job is very, very much a um, chemistry based job. You have to have some kind of um, either initial chemistry or the producers and the NFL network executives have to think that you can eventually, um, form a you know um an engaging on air uh group uh that would be good for viewers. So again, I don't know this but I feel like this would be probably a logical assumption. You must have at a certain point done some test shows or some kind of rehearsals with the current group and that's probably when everybody's going to realize this either can work great or this just is not going to work. So can you talk about sort of what that process was like?
1: We we did not sit at a set together until after I had the job.
0: Wow. Okay. That surprises me. That's interesting. All right.
1: I I don't know what that means in terms of their process or their decision-making, you know, that's above my pay grade, but I certainly spoke with a lot of executives. Um, but the first time I met Peter and Kyle, um, was I think a week or two after I got the job. Wow. Okay. So we did one secret show that we're called. We kind of like joke now, like then the stuff we did was, um, they were at films like doing the show that week from NFL films and they brought me in and I, they did a whole show. And then I sat down at like 11 or at 10 30 after they did three hours of TV. And I felt terrible. Cause I was like, you guys just did this. And you got to like redo these segments that you just did and whatever. And, um, and we had fun with it, and we were joking in the middle of it, like this is going to be that thing in five years that we remember. Like, I cannot believe we did like a pretend secret show. Um, so I don't, I didn't, I did not meet them or, or chat with them. Um, I had heard. I certainly, I mean, you put your feelers out. You know, I, I'm pretty close with Ian Eagle, and he knows Schrager well, and so I feel like Ian for a minute was kind of like our go-between. Like he was essentially telling each other, telling us both about the other person, and. Um, you know, people just rave about Kyle's brilliance and his creativity. And, um, so I, I didn't, I didn't meet them, but I've really always, I've always prided myself how close I've become with my, um, cohorts on TV, any crew I've ever been on. I've become incredibly close with those people. So I was just excited that I kind of get two new friends. Cause that's always how I've looked at it.
0: Look at I and eagle figuring out a way to get involved in everything. It's like a modern day. <laughs> it like- doesn't
1: surprise you whatsoever. <laughs>
0: Okay, so that's interesting, and I should not have presumed that. I'm glad you told me that. So, um, uh, you know, this doesn't get talked a lot about, but I think listeners would really find it interesting. So what's, the, what's that interview process like? What kind of questions are they asking you? I mean, you have a resume. They, you've done significant live game work in front of millions of people, so they already know you can do, quote-unquote, television. But they're, they, they, I'd be curious as to what they're asking you to try to figure out if you'd be a good fit for
1: this specific job. You know, it wasn't so much just like rapid fire questions with the executives as much as it was, they were telling me, you know, kind of the most challenging, I don't want to say the worst parts of the show. It's not, it's the most challenging parts of what it means to be on this show. And essentially just asking me, like, how do you feel about that? You know, what do you think you would do with that? If if that situation were to come up, you know? how you started this conversation. Why do you even want to be in a situation like this? very different from what I've been doing for eight to 10 years. And, um, you know, there's a small part of me that lingers And My husband always says like, I get real crabby like two to three weeks after March Madness ends, because I feel like I don't have an outlet. Like I just, I, I have the ideas bubbling and there's no one that the three-year-old doesn't want to hear it. the one-year-old can't talk yet. It's just like, there's no place for my professional energy to go. And then it's right around that time that I start thinking about like, maybe I should be doing sports talk radio in the off season. And then I think about that. And then I go in, I do some stuff locally and kind of fills my cup that way. But there had just been this growing thought that I just, I just had more to give. And essentially what I'm saying to you right now is what I said to the bosses for the show. Um, you know, every year on the SEC, you gain more knowledge and you get more stories. And, um, and the SEC games are unbelievable. But that sometimes comes to the detriment of the sideline reporter because then you're left with these stories in a basket that never hits the air. And that's really, that's hard when you do that time and time again. You, you have these conversations, you do this digging and you try to be as creative as possible. And then it doesn't, you know, get on the air because the game's amazing. You know, nobody wants to hear about, how so-and-so's elementary school teachers in the stands that taught them how to, you know, throw left-handed when it's like a one score game and you're in college station. Like that's just not, it doesn't fit the broadcast. Um, so to be able to be on a show like this, like you got time, you got more than enough time. <laughs> and I think that's the, for me, going to be the biggest um, adjustment is just not feeling rushed um, because you know, the, the, fun. The joke amongst reporters is when the re- producer says to you, like, you have 20 seconds to do this, but if you could do it 15, that'd be great. <laughs> like, What are you going to do? What are you supposed to do with that? Um, and that's just so not this show. So it just really, really, it was exciting for me to be able to think in this like three hour window every day. And that's, that's essentially what those conversations were like. It was essentially telling them like, that doesn't intimidate me. That doesn't scare me. I I'm excited about this. I can't wait to bring ideas to the table." yeah that's how those conversations went all
0: right and i'll just keep reminding people that again um apologies for the sound quality um i'm on the road at the moment i don't have my recording equipment so this is uh certainly not jamie this is on me um the content will still be good but the sound quality quite frankly will be shit and so my apologies for that and uh i will do better next week try not to take it out on me on the uh, reviews all right um jamie um You know, this is an interesting show that you're heading to because it's really critically praised. It's watched by a ton of influencers. It's the most important sport in the United States, and the league watches it. So you're, interestingly enough, you're going to be watched by far less people than you would if you were doing LSU Alabama or, you know, the NCAA uh, Elite Eight. But the people who watch it really care about it. And so I wonder if you've just um, eventually want to ask you about sort of whatever navigating line you have to now have because you're you're working for the NFL and you have a lot of people in the NFL watching. But um, that's a different this is a different audience for you, right? Because it's not like this mass multiple millions of people watching, but like the people who watch every day, like they care about this show.
1: They care. And I think more so than any product I've ever been on, any production I've ever been on. You know, a lot of these people, I mean, they fell in love with Kay. They fell, they fall in love with Peter and Kyle and, and whoever is in that um, former player chair. And um, I'm not saying that they want, it's strange for me to say that. Like, oh, they're going to watch the show because they love us as talent. But I, judging by how social media reacted to Kay Levy, like some people may watch it because they really like the people. And that's cool. I've never, people were not going to watch LSU Alabama just to see me. And that's fine, and that people didn't watch the Red Sox, or the Bruins just to see me. And that's what that's how I have operated my entire career. So, first and foremost, um that was that was an interesting kind of conversation. I also have Michael Davies along the way when we were having these talks was he really made sure I understood how talent based this show is. Um and I've worked I've done some self work to make sure I'm prepared for that and to goes against kind of like my baseline, I feel like, Humility chip that I have, I've had to kind of push some of that aside. Um, but the show, again, I'm just really excited and happy, and, and it's just different. And I'm I'm just ready for different. And I, I don't know how else to explain it, but the fact that it is less people, it doesn't bother me. I mean, ten people could watch it, and I would still be happy to to talk about the NFL for three hours a day. You know, I I stopped by the Vikings facility before I left Minnesota, and you know, their PR team, they all said that, you know, we have it on this TV right here every day. And, you know, the guys have it on in the locker room. And I just think that's awesome. And, you know, it definitely makes me think about, um, how I present information or, you know, that fact that you're going to have to talk to that person maybe in a couple weeks, uh, which is, again, it's just a different way than I've had to prepare and think about things, but I just am, I'm just yeah, happy. About it. He's a
0: very, very talented guy. Um, he'd be good. he yeah. good guy to work for, I'm sure. So, what's interesting to, what was interesting for me about your hire was that I think you're uniquely positioned for this job. You have been on nFL sidelines um over the course of a full season, so like you know just from preparation production meaning alone, like you get to know the league really good. you have to you really can't do your job without it. You also are unique in that by doing s e c football, you have seen the best players in college football who ultimately become starters and stars in, um, in the league. So I'm not trying to kiss your ass here, but like you, you have a background interestingly enough, that really is a good fit for the show. Obviously you're going to have to keep studying the NFL and being current, but like just through like your own career experiences, you have been um, connected to so many people who are in the national football league right now.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's, when i when the job came up and i started having these conversations and essentially what would happen was i get off these zooms with these executives and then i would sit sit at my computer and think about that and think about the job and how entrenched you i was going to you know if i got it i would be back with the nfl and then i start looking at teams and rosters and totally i mean those guys from the sec are everywhere and and, you know, they may not remember me from Adam, but that's cool. I mean, I remember them, certainly. And the fact that they are just it, – to- I'm not walking back into a blind. And then the four years that I was on the NFL and CBS, a lot of those guys are still around. The biggest challenge I have found in my preparation is how the coaches and the coordinators have, like – I mean, that is like spiderwebs across the league. And that's has been my biggest challenge in, like, trying to connect all the dots and where people have come and gone and – um. That's been the biggest change for me. But that essentially that was the other thing that I and I don't want to say I was like trying to sell myself to them. But I I felt like, as you said, my background uniquely positioned me for the job. Um, But I, I really feel strongly and confidently in that. Like, it's not it's not a joke. Like, it's been four years away from the NFL, but really was it because it was with the SEC and all these guys are everywhere now. And the and the SEC coaches, I mean, they they watch the show too because all those guys are going to go to the league. Like, the, you don't think Alabama is? They're going to Alabama because those guys are going to go play in the NFL. Like, they're trying to make it like a thirty team. That's a shame, though.
0: <laughs> My God, your job this year with uh, Jimbo and uh, Nick Saban. Oh, that would have been such a glorious Uh, assignment. uh Or maybe you're happy about not having a son. So, do you? You know, I know you have been on um, shows and interviews where you've offered opinion. But on this show, like that, really gets amped up. Like you're going to be in the middle of discussions about, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, who's the best quarterback in the AFC? Is it Joe Burrow or Josh Allen? Like now, your part, your your opinion will be content on that um, show. Uh, well, that's probably an exciting. That that could be an exciting prospect for some. For others, that would not be an exciting prospect. How are you viewing the fact that now um, your opinions will be part of your job? Where you know, when you are on the sidelines with um, with uh, Gary and Brad, you're essentially like a conduit to just like the reporting of what's going on in the field and stuff like that.
1: I I see I see that skill set in myself has kind of got, been on a bit of a roller coaster in my career. So I feel like coming out of college, I really is, you're trying to prove yourself any way you can, and I feel like I really kind of came out hot with like I can do this, I can have opinion based, you know, whatever, and then. Um, then it's fine. I have that skill set. I'm a little, ar- I'm an argumentative person, which, you know, can, can come and which can be good and bad sometimes. Um, and then I, I, get the job at Nessin and at CBS and you, I, I kind of realized that like, Oh, to do this sideliner printing job, you gotta, you gotta tamp that down, you know, it's, and that's fine, but it was always there. And, um, I just didn't tap into it, you know, as much as I, I just didn't need to over the last eight years. And so, it hasn't gone away. It's still there. And it, you know, I'm still the person who, you know, I, I bicker with, you know, my husband or his buddies about the fantasy football. And I just like, it's still part of me. And I think that's again, what's just, I'm just kind of happy and excited that you can't, you can't fake it. You can't be a different person for three hours on TV. Like you better, you better be true to yourself or else it's going to be hard to keep up that facade. So I'm, I'm excited and happy that that is already a part of me to be opinionated. I can be opinionated, whether or not I can support that and not make a fool of myself remains to be seen. Um, but I, it's there, I've always been able to do it. I just haven't needed to.
0: When you, um, when you announced that you, um, had this job, people on social media were really, um, happy for you. So then I did a little bit of like my own research and it turns out you're not an asshole, Jamie. It's like legitimately, uh, people are very happy. So I I talked to people you've worked with, but they really all said great things about you. They said you're collegial, um you quote unquote share the mic um you want the broadcast to be good it's like about the the broadcast more than um yourself that must have been um i don't know that must you must have felt good if nothing else to put that out there and see people really really excited for this new opportunity
1: yeah i mean thank you yeah that was really cool to see i mean this sorry
0: Usually, people are crying on this podcast because of my terrible questions <laughs> not out of happiness no it so this was, is a good this is a good moment for the podcast yeah, but yeah, they really I mean that was nice to see you know social media as you know, can suck, but in this case, like you got a lot of affirmation
1: yeah, and it, it's never it's not about the social media response it's it's more um you know when i when I speak to like a college class, let's say i always i one of the pieces of advice that I always give is that if you want to be on air talent and I always pick a really kind of like alarmingly high number when I do this example, but I say 70% of what of you being good at the job has nothing to do with being on television. And, you know, the, the, the young woman who's sitting in the front row who thinks it matters, you know, if she looks a certain way or if her hair is done or her makeup is trendy, like I just really want that person to hear that because people come and go, you can look great and you can sound great, but if you're not a good person, people aren't going to want to work with you. Coaches aren't going to want to be around you. Players aren't going to want to talk to you. And, you know, over 10 years time, you know, I have felt in moments, you know, intimidated or sad or frustrated that I didn't get, you know, certain jobs or certain moments. And I, I really have done, I've tried to just remain steadfast in that my father is like this, that, you know, it, it just be, be a good person and, and the job, then you will, then you will be good at the job. And I've always tried to be that way. And so like Brad and Gary, like we, we are very close, the three of us. And I think that really came across, you know, over four years on our broadcast and um, but, but more so to see that, you know, I was an intern at ESPN when I was in college and um, I used to run scripts out when they used to have the highlight express to like Cole Wright. It <laughs> was on the oh, wow. highlight. Express. I didn't know that. Oh, and wow. like, he was like, You used to hand me shot sheets. Like, I mean, like, and I, I like to think I was the same person then. And so it was just a really amazing thing to watch all these people remember who I was and just the fact that I, but I was also just really proud of it.
0: The, um, having embedded with, uh, Bird and Gary, uh, and Ali LaForce was uh, on the sideline then. Um, having gotten a chance of sort of seeing that group work together, Craig Silver, et cetera, Steve Milton, like you have to get along. Like if, 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 if someone on that crew is not like amenable, it's kind of over, like you got no shot to make it work. So, um, so that doesn't surprise me. One thing I want to ask you about college football, and then we'll move on to a couple of different things, including um, just what it was like for you to be a working mom um, (laughs) last couple of years you know, you know this, Jamie, and I know this, having um, written about it for a long time, is nobody really knows, unless you're sort of in the business, about how much sideline reporters do that doesn't get reported. People see you, someone like you on the sideline, and you may get a couple minutes on air, and they think, "Oh, that's all she does." And let's face it, there's probably a lot of sexism elements to it, because most of the people on the sideline are women. A lot of them are younger women in the quote-unquote in the business, but the reality is, anybody who's done, who's there in the business, or someone like me who's been fortunate enough to report on it, you provide in your reporting so much for the booth that will eventually get on air through Gary um, and Brad or you know Greg or Ian or whatever, and like it's about making the broadcast better. And so the sideline reporter isn't—they're not just—they don't just show up and do something for two minutes on air. There's a ton of work um that goes into it. The reason why I'm giving this intro, there's a, trust me, Jamie, there's a plan. <laughs> there's a specific reason. It's okay I'm
1: still wiping is, my teeth. <laughs> is that
0: is that for the LSU Alabama game, which you were praised on when the when the sound went off on the booth and Gary and uh, uh um Brad. and Brad were yeah. done and you had to essentially improvise for a couple minutes of calling the game I I was kind of like, while I'm sure that moment wasn't particularly fun at the moment, but I really liked that it happened and that you sort of came through. Because to me, as someone who's written about this, it kind of showed that, like, you would not have been able to keep the broadcast going smoothly unless you had prepped and prepared and knew what was going on within that. And I felt that was a great moment, not just for you personally, but in many ways for that position. Because it kind of proved that, like, if you think that this position is just this, you're, you're so wrong. And so now when you, I just wonder when you reflect back on this two years ago and you rightfully got press uh, and praise for that, but like, I don't know. I, when I saw that, I thought it was a bigger moment than just for Jamie And I just wonder how you saw
1: it. I totally agree. Um, It is interesting to hear what people think of the job. In fact, it's most interesting to me when I am doing the job. On my SEC games, I had this cart that had two monitors, and it was kind of my home base, and it was always tucked away, usually in like the lower right end zone. And the people that would sit immediately around it in the college stadiums, because they are right up next to the field, at least once a week for four years, someone would say like, I didn't realize how much you have to move around. Or I didn't realize that you have the game here, but you don't sit here. Like people think that I just like come to the stadium and I get to like sit and watch the TV. Right. And I just hang out. and I sit and watch the TV like I do. And I'm just yucking it up when it ever gets me. And so that was very, I find it comical and I just kind of keep going and I'm happy that people are being introduced to the fact that that's not what the job is, but you're right. It, it, that moment, while when I watched it back, I found seventy-two things I could have done differently or better. Um, nat- that's, that's the the naturally. <laughs> um, but you're right. I, you know, you if you sit in a in a pr- in a production meeting, and you sit with your arms crossed and your legs crossed, and you just don't listen to anybody until it's your turn to talk or ask questions, like you're not going to do well in that moment. Um, if you don't go to dinner with Brad and Gary, and you're talking about what the coordinator said that day, if you don't take the locker room tour, even though you would really rather go to lunch, but LSU wants to show you their new locker room, like all of those things come into that moment. I felt, and also just remaining calm, um, and not thinking that you have some bigger or more important thing to be doing than in that moment. But also realizing that, you know, when I do the sec, I have double earphones in, as opposed to when I'll go in the studio, I'll just have the one. But in that moment, when Craig said to me, um, we lost the guys talk is all he said. And then no one said anything to me until I heard Brad's voice again, because, but apparently I can only imagine what was happening in the truck, but no one, everyone remained calm. And it was just like, it was, it was, fit. it was great for the job. You're right. Because I think it showed people and students, especially someone who wants to do this, that like you can't just be here looking at your paper and what you wrote verbatim and think that that's going to get you by today because Craig, Craig Silver always says the producer for the SET on CBS, like you have to earn your way on the air. And I've always been a firm believer too. And what you write the night before is not what's going to earn you on the air. What's going to earn you on the air is the stuff that you see and you can turn into something creative and interesting the day of the game.
0: All right, one more about the, uh, the SEC. I um, when I when I did that embed with the um, Vern Gary et cetera and crew, um, it was my first SEC football game I've ever went to and only one. It was LSU Alabama at night cool. and LSU, so it was a good one. But as a New Yorker, it was the first time, and I guess since only time that I was able to understand the passion of SEC football. It, like, you could see it through the screen, but especially someone like myself, an East Coast person, like, I didn't really sort of get it or understand it. There's no college football power, like, where I grew up. So that was a real eye-opening education. I kind of, like, got, okay, I understand, like, why this is religion to certain people. Yep, You're a Minnesota person, so you're obviously a Big Ten country. So what was it like, which is different. Yep. So what was it like for you? Over the last couple of years doing the SEC, I guess in terms of has it given you like a real, I mean, I'm sure it has, but like, what has it been to sort of see like that sport, which is so important to people's lives, Mm -hmm. lives in probably the part of the country where they clearly care about it the most? I mean, you, you, you may never get that experience again to sort of like feel like experience, like what the South is really about culturally.
1: So to protect myself over the four years of doing the SEC, anytime someone on a radio station down there or whatever would ask me, like, what my favorite places to go, I would never answer because you know you don't want to get <laughs> crushed. Um, yeah. my my answer I would give, and I really firmly believe in this parallel, or they would say, you know, like, what's your favorite sporting event? Um, playoff hockey in Canada is the only time, other time I have felt that that form of hometown intensity pride dedication and sacrifice to a sport Mm -hmm. and specifically i am thinking back to in 2013 the bruins won the president's Mm -hmm. trophy they got past the first round the second round they played montreal and it was like game four or five up in montreal and i'm from minnesota like hockey i get it like college football not so much in minnesota i know we have the gophers but like not a, not a storied program, not like a Michigan. Um, I, I, I was blown away when I was in Montreal. So I go to Baton Rouge, I go to Tuscaloosa and I'm, and so I, there was a gap there from 2013 until 1819 When I started in the SEC, I was in the NFL. I'm doing college basketball. I'm like, okay, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. And then I get to Baton Rouge and I'm like, this is the same, this is it, you know? And it, and it just, is just a feeling which you can speak to being in Toronto. um, and, and now I, I still can't quite answer what my favorite place was to go to in the sec, but it, it, I think it more speaks to just the pride. And, um, I had never been growing up, been around stuff like that. You know, it's still, you know, Minnesota is a pro sports place. Um, and so I, it took me a minute to, uh, to understand it and appreciate it and not to feel, I felt out of place. I would say the first six months. The first yeah. season, I, I so just, did I. I, yeah. didn't wanna, I didn't want to, I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't, I, you know, I felt like I just stuck out like a northerner, you know, but I learned to love it and appreciate it and respect it. And like, I can't wait to go back to a game this year as a fan for the first time ever. I'm going to go, I'm like, literally I'm wait, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to go to. Cause I think that's just going to be so cool. But I, I probably wouldn't have said that in 2013. I would have been like sec football. I don't, you know, I don't know. I feel the same answer. way about playoff hockey. <laughs> I want yeah. no, to I, go. I
0: love to go. I totally understand where you're coming from. Again, the sound of that night game in LSU, I, I'm not sure I've ever heard a sporting yeah event sound. And then when I walked, uh, it was a cool experience to walk through the RVs and the yeah. uh, pregame at the LSU. But like, I, I might as well have basically had like an I love New York shirt on. Like, totally. it was, I just felt like uh, I was such an out from the food that they were eating to um, the accents to like, I mean, we didn't really get into many political and social issues, but, like, it was just – it was, in a way, I thought it was very good for me because I'm almost never an outsider, and in this yep. case, it was it was interesting to just process being an outsider. And
1: those, those true – you know, those one versus two games in, like, mid to late oh, yeah. November, you know, that is where Craig Silver and Steve Milton win Emmys. I mean, those games are – I mean, Mil- the way Milton – Steve Milton can direct a college football game is unlike any – I mean, I just – it it, it it makes my heart race just sitting here thinking about like with the noise and the scene and the he just lets yeah. it play and it's just Amazing. they're incredible.
0: Yeah, no, they're they're those two are they those 2 are they are top shelf mm-hmm. um in the business. All right, let me read you in uh, an Instagram post. Um, oh, yeah, this your Instagram post. I can't believe how much social media research <laughs> I had to do for this uh, interview, Jim. Um, So you're, I'll paraphrase it then, you're talking about an entire football season and half a basketball season, carrying pumping equipment, this is now open quote, carrying pumping equipment and frighteningly perishable milk, timing flights according to when you last fed your baby daughter, Uh, is my frozen, is my freezer pack frozen solid to get through TSA? How long is my drive after my flight so my milk doesn't go bad? Does the hotel have an adequate enough fridge? When does my game end so my milk doesn't go bad before I fly? Did I make enough milk to replace what she drank? So, uh, this to me, I mean, it's always incredible. I think working moms in any profession. I think the profession that you had it's really tough because of all the travel. Then add COVID to the mix. Um, now that you can reflect back on it, I think your children are what three and one? Yep. Maybe. Yep. Okay. All right. Again, still as the parent of young twins, still incredibly hard as hell. But it. My guess is just it must now feel like almost like an alternative life, right, to have gone through all that. But you must have been so exhausted, so tired, so um, anxiety-ridden while trying to, like, roll this high-profile job that you still had, right? Yeah. What was that experience? I mean, it's such a cliche question. What was that experience like? But, man, what was that experience like?
1: Well, so my four years on the SEC were spent pregnant, breastfeeding, pregnant, breastfeeding. Wow. And so – um, the first, the first time around, I didn't know any better. It was brand new. I just was flying by the seat of my pants. You know, I had a happy, healthy baby. I had a great support system the, the guys, we had the SEC and CBS bus and it had a fridge and the guys were totally under, The guys were incredible. Gary's got like 14 grandkids, you know, it's just like, they couldn't have had a better, better support system on the road too. The second time around, as you said, was the fall of 2020. I was pregnant with my second and I wore a mask on the air the entire football season in the SEC. Wow. And I did not share that I was pregnant until I had the baby. Right. And I, it just felt there were a lot of things that went into it. Cause I was a little bit more public with my first pregnancy, but s- simply said, it just didn't feel like the time to be celebrating something like that when other people were dealing with their own stuff. And I just, I also kind of, to be combative. I didn't really want to give people a reason to know why I was wearing the mask. I just kind of wanted to be like, yeah, I'm wearing a mask all football season. Leave me alone. (laughs) Um, I didn't get sick. I got sick actually, ironically, in January, I did an entire season of traveling and being around coaches and and got COVID pregnant when I was in January. Um, And then the following season, you know, breastfeeding and, um, you know, COVID's. it was the, you know, 21 was hard too, but I would say breastfeeding pumping on the road. Um, it really, really honed. I wouldn't say it taught me to, cause I'd like to think I was like this already, but it really honed my skills to advocate for myself mm. to a lot of different people, um, to just kind of state things in a way that this is the expectation. This is the standard that I would like to set for how I am operating in this circumstance, whether it be with a stranger going through the airport or with Brad and Gary. Um, you know, I think as women in the industry, especially when you're younger, you often say, you often start talking and you you um finish your sentences on the way up as if you're asking a question every time, you know, like and then I'm gonna take this flight and get into Atlanta around two o'clock. like essentially, is that okay with everybody? And it's just like, Craig, I will be arriving in Tuscaloosa at 8 PM because, you know, and it's just like, and that I had to be okay with that. And, and essentially it really came back to like, this is what works for me. You know, I have very, very unpleasant pregnancies. I have gotten sick in every stadium in the sec. Um, And Uh, I don't passenger. Well, I have to like drive the car. And like, so then CBS had rules that we couldn't, you can only be car together, like two people in a car. And so the entire 2020 season, when I was pregnant with my second, I drove and Gary sat in the way back of a Tahoe. Like, and now he, like he, I'm his Uber driver. Like there's just things were done. Sacrifices were made, you know, because I can't sit in the backseat of a car. Like I, it'll just not go well. So, um, all this being said is I really feel like that's what you do when you want to feed your kid Um, fed is best though. So like I easily, you know, my kids still got a formula bottle at night, but you know, breastfeeding was manageable for me. So I did my best. Um, I also think for me being away from young kids, it was a way for me to feel connected to them when I was gone, Um, you know, three days in a row on the weekends, it just brought me back to them every time. Um, I pumped. And um, I, I always told myself I'd do it until I hated doing it. And really when both both babies, when March Madness came around, those trips are longer. And that's when I really started to resent it do, at the act of pumping on the road. And so um, that's always kind of when I wound down for both of them. Um, and that felt good to me. And I'm very proud of the length of time that I was able to do breastfeeding for both of them. Um, But as a whole, you know, the second time around, I also the second time around was like, I know exactly what this is going to be like, you know, it was like, like I said, the first one, you don't know any better, but, but it really gave me a voice that I didn't know I had that like, this is how this is going to be. And whether that is right or wrong, it was I was protecting myself and my kids and also trying to do a really good job for my employer. And um, I think all of those things can exist. Yeah.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Um, I have one sort of follow-up to that. Obviously, this is something in my career um, I've never had to think about and most men do not have to think about. Um, So from your experience, and again, I realize that there's no way you could really know what it was like for um, a woman in the 80s or the 90s in a similar situation. And yeah, like there were working mothers then. Like, you know, they may not have like, showed their pregnancy on sports, but which is kind of bullshit if you think about it now, it's just a different era. Um, Do you find that, and you've worked for big companies, so man, like it better be better at big companies, but have you found that the CBSs and like, you talking to your colleagues, like Molly McGrath has been on this podcast a number of times and she says, talked about this stuff too at ESPN and you know she was very complimentary of her employers, and obviously there've been women who've been pregnant at Fox Sports, et cetera. Do you find that the these major employees are at least do they have an apparatus in place where like you can do your job effectively while also um, taking care of your health as an expected mother or as a new mother as best as possible? Because it doesn't feel like any of this shit existed for working mothers in the '80s. And at least, maybe the romantic me would like to hope that in twenty twenty two, at least the big places, this is all in place now.
1: You know, this feels so strange to say, and I and by no means do I want to offend anyone, women, mothers who worked for, as you said, the other networks in the eighties, nineties, whatever. I still feel like this experience for a live sports television production is a new frontier, a little bit. Like, and it and it really. That being said it's not like cbs had this book about like okay when you're doing football games like here's what here's how we handle this because at cbs at least you know i only know of a handful of women that had done this before me and so what i appreciated about cbs was that while they didn't have a book about it um they were very open open open-minded conversational very accommodating um Again, it kind of circles back to I, w- I was able to hone in pretty quickly on my needs to be the most successful reporter that I and I think they trusted me that way to say when I would go to them and say, I need to stay at a residence Inn because they have fridges. And they would say, like, yeah, that makes sense. All right, you can do that. Like, <laughs> um, Or I need a rental car. I don't like car services because I will puke out of the back of the car service. Like, I don't think you want that bill. And they, all right, cool. Like, you know, you do that. So, um, they know me well enough. I know them. I knew who to go to. Um, and they were always very understanding of my COVID fears the first time around, um, being pregnant and whatnot. um, it just it it just to answer your question, even though CBS is a huge company and they've done a lot of things, you know, live sports television is still such a niche production that yep. there's still a lot of learning to be done. Um, and I just really I really just focus on the fact that like it's OK that neither of us really know how this is going to go or how it should be. But I am happy to say that on the back end, I, I, can't, I don't have a single memory of CBS ever doing anything to make me feel like.
0: listen to the deal on spotify i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast
1: each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't
0: have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, well, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get
1: your podcasts.
0: All right, I have two more things for you. Um, will you um, in one of the things that I read... I don't know if this was from you or elsewhere. There was an indication that you would still do things for CBS um, heading forward. What will those be?
1: That's to be determined. Um, I'm hoping certainly to still be a part of their We Need to Talk shows, which is the all-women's talk show on CBS Sports Network. Suzanne Smith. Suzanne Smith was one of the creators, which is incredible. And um, I just did the Title IX-focused one from American University, which is my alma mater. Um, And that's, I believe, a monthly production Yep. Um, and they use women from across all networks. And so, uh, that to me was kind of the first thing that I asked for, I guess, when we, when I had this conversation, initial conversations with David Burson and, um, he was open, we we're just very open-minded to things to work together. But I, I really hope that that's kind of at the top of the list.
0: Uh, do you think you might do, um, if the schedule permits lot, like something like the NCAA tournament where they, you get you like, they loan you out, let's say for two weeks or something like that, or a weekend,
1: I would hope that that would be a conversation.
0: Yeah. Let me just say this, Jamie. This is me. So if David Burson is listening, uh, I, and he's pretty open-minded. He, this is not directed to a guy like him. For so long, there was this idea that, like, it, it was somehow, like, would really hurt the competitiveness of, a, of an outlet if you allowed, like, your talent to appear on the other person's airways. It's all been bullshit. It's all promotion for said network if you are doing... Like, it's promotion for the NFL Network if you are on CBS for the NCAA tournament. Don't say, Jamie, you no, know, I mean, if I was your agent, don't say anything. Josh Levy right now says be quiet. But, like, it's just so frustrating because, like, I have covered this for a long time. It's changing a little bit, but the notion still is somehow that, like, the competitiveness is just we can't allow X person to do this X assignment because they're a competitor. It's, you're getting promotion from the fact you should actually look at it the other way. We are letting one of our talents be on someone else's network. This is a great promotion for us. All right, anyway, speech over. Um, Don't say anything, Jayden. Okay, fine. All right, so (laughs) lastly, for a career shift, you are now moving to a different state. You have this job where you're a studio host now, Mm -hmm. um, and you're still very young in the business. So do you think that this will now in the next whatever, 10, 15, 20 years, do you see yourself more as someone who will work within a studio? Or do you think the possibility exists where you'll do this for however long you do this? And then you're like, you know what? I, I can't, my kids are a little bit older and I love the idea of now going back live again. You're going to be in a very, in my opinion, a very fortunate position where you will have experience on both sides, which is rare. Yeah. And so I feel like that should, at least if I project it forward, that should give you a lot of options to do, by the way, you can also do, maybe you'll be a teacher or something. Maybe you'll do something totally different, right. but you know what I mean? If you want to stay in the business, you've now, I feel like, this experience will will open you up to a lot of different areas that's how i'd like
1: I've said that to my family close circle of people that I feel like this has changed the trajectory of my career. not saying that it has changed it to the course of like I will just remain in studio but as to your point, it has opened up it will open up um, as long as I do well a uh, a wide variety of things and it doesn't just have to be sports stuff either um what i've really come to terms with is if you can be on television 3 hours a day live and talk about any topic you can do any kind of tv for 3 hours a day 1000% and uh, i think that's just a skill set in and of itself that i don't have yet but i'm i can't wait to have it i can't wait to obtain obtain that skill set um i don't know i i used to i used to have a hard time in my mid 20s when people would ask me what the dream job was um i used to say I wanted to host the final four. I, oh. I wanted, I like, you know, I used to, this was before I was at CBS. I, you know, I liked, I wanted to be at the game was like the, my big thing. Cause I love basketball I wanted to be at the game and I, but I, but I wanted to be able to talk a lot is <laughs> how I would explain this, the job. <laughs> and that to me was, I guess like, was the, what Greg Gumbel does and Ernie and um so I don't, but I stopped answering that question because I really don't want to be pigeonholed. And I don't know there, the, 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 the nature of this industry is changing so much that there could be a job in 10 years that I have that doesn't exist when we're talking right now. And this job didn't exist 10 years ago. So the one that I'm about to take over on Monday. So it's like, I don't really want to, I don't want to think about it. I want to know, like, this is going to be really good for myself and my family in the t- terms of the contract that I just agreed to. And that's as much as I can hope for right now. <laughs> and it's going to make me better. It's going to make me a better professional. And those are a lot of great boxes to check in the next couple of years.
0: Well, it's very, re- it's a very exciting time for you. Um, and uh, again, I wasn't bullshitting you like the people in the industry. I talked to only said good things about you. you. That's not always the case. So that's uh, that speaks well, um, Thank well you. to you. And, um, all right, let's give the promotion again here. So Jimmy Erdo's new host of good morning football. Uh, that's the NFL networks, uh, uh, football morning show. airs Monday to Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Um, she will debut on July 25th. So, uh, next week given when we're, uh, taping this and I think it's going to work out great. Thank I mean, you. I, again, I, um, you know, everybody's already on that show said really great things about you. I feel like that's, ninety percent of the battle is when the people who work with you want to work with you, man. You are uh, yep.
1: Seventy percent is not about what you put on TV, man.
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good <laughs> point. Uh, best of luck. Obviously, you have very young kids, so that's Thank that's you. a gigantic job in itself. So I wish you the best with that and with your move heading back to uh, my old. Uh, stomping grounds. And Thank I hope you. we can do this again. I, I, me too. I, I like this and, uh, and I appreciate your honesty. Not everybody sort of is on it. Not, I should say that not everybody wants to talk about some of the topics you just talked about. So I, I really appreciate you doing that. And, uh, thanks for joining me today. I'm Sports Media to be
1: helpful. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. We, uh, we returned from our conversation with Jamie Rodell. My thanks to her. Um, uh, again, I, I enjoyed that very much. Uh, sometimes you just know when like the conversation honest and and this was one. So I really appreciate her, Tom. And I wish her the best of luck with good morning football. Previous podcast uh, earlier this week, we had Chad Finn and Austin Karp do a media roundtable on a number of subjects uh, with some heavy baseball this week because of the All-Star Game and Home Run Derby. I think you'll enjoy that. Last week, uh, it was uh, very much a uh, serialized podcast with Tom Rinaldi on uh, Lyman Wesley Bostock. He, uh, he is the executive producer. And uh, uh, narrator and reporter on Wesley, which is about the life and death of Lyman Wesley Bostock Jr. Zach Kiefer, my colleague at The Athletic, uh, doing a big podcast on Andrew Luck and, uh, and the sort of what ifs of uh, Andrew Luck. Had Jeremy Shop and Russell Danello before that on the incredible story of Barry Bremen. Uh, Monica McNutt at ESPN talking about her career. TJ Quinn on the reporting. Uh, Brittany Griner and uh, ESPN Jimmy Pataro, 63-minute conversation with him. If you like these kind of uh, conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. Want to thank uh, Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work on this one. Thanks to Cavens13 for their support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on Sports Media Podcast.